Okay, everyone. Next on the agenda here at the face-to-face Direct Democratic Assembly, show introductions. I think this was your proposal, Aaron. So yeah, I just want to put forward that this is the Seriously Wrong podcast, that my name is Aaron, and I'm one of the co-hosts. Sean is the other co-host. And also just that this show is made possible by our patrons on Patreon. So yeah, that's it. Okay, any movers to second? Does that cool with everyone yeah it looks a lot of sparkle fingers all right yeah i'd like to just move as a friendly amendment the show's recorded on unceded coast salish territory uh, okay yeah friendly amendment Does that work for you yep any blocks no blocks okay excellent it's passed next order of business so there was a motion which was now three meetings ago from aaron to make the pamphlet green so we're going to be resuming discussion on that motion. So let's all be on our best behavior for this one, everyone. Yeah, so green's the color of life. It's a beautiful, bright color. Everyone loves it. And we have a seconder here. And uh, any friendly amendments? Hi, yeah, I'd like to put a friendly amendment to recolor the pamphlet. Any? That's not a friendly amendment. That's the wrong part of it's the process just, to bring this up. It's Right? Am I not right, Facilita? This isn't... Red is a shitty color for pamphlets. It's like evil. It's like just represents evil in movies like Darth Vader's lightsaber. Let's get clarity. Sorry, Sean. Were you going to suggest again, like the last couple meetings that it's a red pamphlet? The color he suggested is the color of wicked, nasty diaper. We need something wicked. You just said green was wicked, nasty, whatever. So it's perfect. We're using green. Everyone. Is it fair to say that you're going to be blocking both ways on this? You just need to be a different color. Are they wrong? I think they're wrong 100%. Sometimes they're wrong. Sometimes they're wrong. Seriously. They're always wrong. That is absolute wrong. Seriously? They're so wrong. Wrong. Very nice words, but happens to be wrong. Seriously. Seriously? Seriously? Wrong. Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is brought to you by having your voice really be heard. It's a deep human need that we all have to know that others see us and hear us. And being heard can be something that's a lifesaver. When you're trying to give the type of feedback that could potentially change the actions undertaken by others, knowing that the feedback you've given has been taken seriously and is being acted upon, that comfort and trust is an experience that everyone deserves. It's physiological. When you look into the eyes of another human being speaking with your voice, which contains all of the inflection, hesitation, and intricacies of your experience that can only be conveyed through your voice because it's yours. And and you see that flicker of recognition in your partner's eyes, and you know that they understood what you said. That's physically comforting. It releases neurotransmitters which facilitate bonding and a feeling of being safe. That's what having your voice heard feels like. So that's why we at the Wrongtopian Democratic High Command have invented a new method to connect the voices of citizens around the world to their elected representatives and people in power. This revolutionary system will mean that everyone's voices are finally, truly, and deeply heard. Literally. Oh, you're saying my voice can literally be truly heard? Absolutely. Just get into the booth here and we're just going to have to test your voice out. So just if you can read from the page. Testing, testing. One, two, three. This is my voice. The constituent voices from all around the world travel across a grid network of light speed telecommunications technology to deliver their voice directly to their leaders. What does it look like for the leaders? Something like this. 
Hello? Greetings, regional representative. To hear the voices of your constituents, press 1 or say, I want to hear the voices. Ah, uh, you better believe. I want to hear the voices. Uh. Loading directory. Uh, this is the true meat of it. Testing. One, two, three. This is my voice. Uh, yeah, all right. right Testing. Right. One, two, three. This way. is my That's voice. That's a kind of experience Testing. I don't have. One, two, three. The voices of this the people. Voice. This job is Testing. all about. I'm one, two, three. so This ecstatic. is my voice. How did Testing. representatives one, two, ever represent voice. their constituents Testing. before this? One, two, three. This is my voice. Revolutionary. Testing. I'm writing so many one, two, notes three. down. This is my voice. So much inspiration. When they're just an undifferentiated mass of people, it's one thing. But when you hear their voices, you connect to them as individuals and just want what's best for them. The system works. People consider your voices heard. Today's episode of Seriously Wrong proudly brought to you by having your voice be meaningfully heard. It's our commitment at the Democratic High Command of Wrongtopia. Our solemn commitment. All hail the Democratic High Command. So yeah, what does democracy mean? Oh, it's funny you should ask. I actually know the etymology. Demos means people and kratos means power. So the people have the power. Isn't any social configuration of political systems sort of run by people? Like aristocracies run by rich people. Yeah. Monarchies run by a king. That's a person. Yeah. Not people like broad, but people It is in the people of the nation or whatever of the city state of the hmm. organization. Oh, so rule by all of the relevant people. I th- yeah. When they say the people, it has this presumption that there's a body of people who count mm-hmm. and a body of people who don't count. Just the like citizens versus non-citizens oftentimes not based on who the decisions are relevant to. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. But it should be. Yeah, I mean, I generally favor giving voting rights to like more people when there's disenfranchised non-voters. I think generally like giving them the ability to vote is good, like lowering the voting age for younger people or like permanent residents who live in the city and are affected by the governance of that city. Like, why shouldn't they be able to vote? for the duration that they're living there. Yeah, well, yeah, the expansion of the concept of who counts as the people. That's been part of, like, the progress of democracy or, like, when comparing different kinds of democracy, you can be like, yeah, I think one's, like, actually more democratic. Towards, like, universal suffrage rather than a limited suffrage. Yeah, Yeah, because that is interesting in that democracy, the weird thing about even, like, the etymological breakdown there that the people is a very nebulous sort of it's got a a political implication of feeling like oh yeah like the many small people you know like rather than having like big people in charge but the people could just refer to a small amount of big people in charge and like they're the people in this instance yeah like in athenian democracy it was only property owners that had the vote male property owners obviously there's the women's suffrage movement about only a hundred years ago in north america up until the 1960s indigenous people in canada had to renounce their citizenship as indigenous people and become full Canadians in order to vote. So indigenous people living on reserve were unable to vote. Was it still a democracy before they had that vote? Was it still a democracy before women had a vote? Democratization should be an ethical priority for our countries, workplaces, our economy, our neighborhoods. Democratization is good. I support more democracy. My ideal perfect system would have so many votes, ballots, perfectly responsive feedback forms, face-to-face meetings, you name it, so many that it goes without saying that you're not expected to make it to all of them. And it goes without saying that no one could ever possibly complete all the ballots that are available to them. 
So instead, they would focus on the ballots that are most relevant to them primarily. Yeah, my ideal democracy goes a little further than that. Like, I would want to be able to have a say in all these things that you're talking about, but I don't want to have to actually decide each thing because then I'd have to learn about everything, make all these granular decisions and stuff. So I just want something where I can either pick someone I trust to do it at first or hopefully, ideally, eventually put a chip in my brain or build an artificial intelligence with my mind so it can make the decisions that I would make for me without me having to do the work of making the decision oh, first. Yeah. The old chip and brain democracy. Yeah, you could do like a subconscious survey <laughs> of the a, entire population. Would that be a good chip or an evil chip in your proposal? I'm looking for good chips. Oh, okay. I know evil chips are often talked about a lot. Yeah, if it was an evil chip, I don't think I could get behind it. But right now I'm I'm on the road to being convinced. You have control be. over your chip and what data goes in and out. You know, you don't have to vote. You don't have to turn on the voting mechanism. It's all anonymized data. No one will know which vote came from you, but you can always see what information was sent out from your thing. It's really good. Okay, so I just want to stick on this good democratic chip for one second. This good democratic chip in your brain reads your thoughts in your subconscious to determine what your voting behavior would be to automatically fill out all voting forms on your behalf without you ever consciously having to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think also the reason I say progressing from that would be to an AI that thinks like me is that eventually if we get an AI that thinks like everyone, it could do the discussions and like compromises necessary of like a big consensus meeting. You get a global consensus meeting of all Everyone's 10 brains. million AIs, yeah, discussing something. It could be done really quick, like, you know, long, drawn-out meetings. How are 10 billion people going to come to a consensus decision? It's impossible. Well, to the robots, it feels like the 10 million years it would take, but they're all immortal and they experience time much faster, so it's yeah, only a so few seconds to us. Exactly, exactly. You got it. And then if you ever <laughs> want to know how they arrived at that decision, you can just download all 10 billion years of experience into your brain through the good chip. Maybe something that could even sort of fill a democratic stopgap between that sort of advanced technology you're talking about and the current technological space that we're in. And I'm just going to put an asterisk ahead of this. I know what I'm about to say is dystopian. But without changing any of the technology that we're currently deploying on Earth for the purposes of advertising, we could have advanced profiles made for people that track their purchasing behavior, use the microphones in their phones and their computers and their webcams to watch them. Um, and then from that, discern what their democratic preferences would be. So, for example, you're sitting alone in your house and you say, wow, I really don't like it when the government subsidizes big business while other people are starving. Well, then the, the algorithm automatically signs all petitions in favor of stuff like that, like for any candidates or policies that would help with that issue. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, like, let's be honest, we're not fully there. You might hear at first stuff like your computer would be like, I didn't quite catch that. Did you say that you support overthrowing the U.S. government? And then you'd be like, yes, I think it's unchecked. Time as a global hegemon has led to unprecedented suffering. And then it's like, I didn't quite hear you right. Did you say that the U.S. imperial hegemon has led to untold suffering? And you're like, yes. And it's like, thank you. This has been recorded. And then from that, you can... Nothing <laughs> bad happens, obviously. Oh, yeah. And no, only no, no, no. good things happen. Like your votes are cast perfectly exactly with a high degree of fidelity translates your conversation with the artificial intelligence into relevant votes like for example not wanting to increase the military budget or whatever
All joking aside, I personally denounce this whole algorithm thing. I denounce the democratic algorithm. It's insufficient. I don't, but... We'll pick up on this later. Yeah. (laughs) One of our disagreements we have. It's kind of (laughs) touchy. Sean, do you got your ticket? Oh, my ticket for the democracy train? Yeah, all aboard the democracy train. <laughs> That's the slogan. Of, I do have the ticket. It's free to all citizens. And let's get this democracy train moving. Hi, thank you, Mr. Conductor. Here's my ticket. I'll just be boarding the democracy train now. Oh, this is so great, bringing democracy to all elements of society until eventually all of society is fully democratized. Yeah, a shared ethical goal among any reasonable person. Yeah, and a choo-choo train, which are just like tons of fun. So what's the first stop on the democracy train? Here, let me just open up my democracy train map here. Just unfold this. Oh, first stop is the schools, the schools. Oh, great place to start. Children are the future. Yeah, and we need to teach them about our radical democratic agenda. Absolutely. The lessons that kids learn in their life when they're that young about how the world works and how society works are going to stay with them for the rest of their life. So if they grow up in a situation where what they think is not taken into account in terms of decision making for things relevant to their life, then they're going to learn that what they think doesn't matter. You know, not everybody, but a lot of people will come away with that message and they'll be less interested in actually participating in making those decisions. So you got to get it started early, not just telling them they live in a democracy, but demonstrating to them that they live in an actual democracy that affects the things they care about. They can vote on it. They have a real voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because democracy isn't just a voting system, a ballot or something like that. It also includes a culture of democracy and a culture of democracy can be built from childhood to become used to the standards of having your voice matter and impact society. It can have powerful effects for not just establishing a more democratic culture, but protecting democracy into the future. Not only is there an ethical value in giving children a say in their own education and not just understanding the curriculum, but understanding the process of teaching and their own development to a higher degree and determine what sort of things they get to learn about based on their interests. I think that's fucking cool. But then on top of that, to give these children a sense of democracy, the feeling of participating in democracy, raising them up to understand democracy as the default, something that is expected, and something which is easy and fun, is something that a democratic school can achieve that few other things could. And democratic schools, while not the norm, we do have real world examples we can point to and say, this is how it actually turns out in the end. And things that people worry about in giving children some control over the schools don't tend to happen. So like some of the more radical democratic schools have things like a school meeting once a week where every decision from curriculum to staff hiring and firing is done by one person, one vote, all students, all teachers and staff together can all vote on this. So if students really don't like a teacher, that teacher is likely going to get fired. If students really don't want a class to exist, it probably won't exist. And anti-democrats would predict that this would end up in a system where, you know, the students fire all the teachers except for the have fun and hang ten while surfing. Unlimited recess teachers. Unlimited recess teachers and, you know, abolish learning. But that's not actually what you see happening. Like a lot of these schools, apparently when you show up, the vibe 
is very recess-like all the time. But you have things like older kids interacting with smaller kids on projects and helping them learning sort of nurturing social skills across age groups, which is something that doesn't happen in most schools that are divvied up by grade. And studies about like achievement in all kinds of various fields for people who go to these schools actually turns out to be really high. So they're not unable to continue on to post-secondary education. They're not unable to find work. They're capable, competent people. It's not like you take all these public school kids who are used to public school and then you give them one a big ballot altogether, like whether or not to fire all the teachers and have unlimited recess or something. Again, we're talking about sort of a democratic culture where I can sort of imagine it where you start at a younger age with simpler votes, like do you want to do this or this? And you can do that with like quite young children mm -hmm. who can establish their preferences. And then also through that process, teach them a sense of sort of accepting when the vote doesn't go your way or having like a ranked ballot system. So it's like, oh, we compromised, you know, like a lot of people wanted to skate, a lot of people wanted to ski, but everyone thought that snowboarding was second coolest, so we're doing snowboarding. And oh, like sorry, not to interrupt, but one quick thing I just remembered I should have mentioned. The one kid, one vote schools, these are like middle high schools, not elementary school. I don't know of any examples of elementary schools where the kids have power to fire teachers. Uh, <laughs> just to clarify. Yeah, and, and that makes sense, and especially for older kids, as giving them that sense of responsibility could exactly. change their behavior, and that the school isn't something imposed on them that controls them and stuff like that, but the school is something they're a part of and they have a voice in. I think that's extremely meaningful for an older kid. And for a younger kid on the younger end of the spectrum, it's just like spelling, you know? You, you don't start by reading enormous, complex books. You know, like we wouldn't expect a small child to read, you know, an 800 page novel of polysyllabic words referencing political concepts across time and history. But by building the building blocks of, oh, these letters make these sounds together, we need to do the same thing with democracy in schools. Like when you have a 51, 49% vote, this is the sort of feeling it makes. These are component parts of democracy. These are things that as adults, people struggle to deal with and participate in in a meaningful sense and keep their disposition productive in order to have like a democratic system i think a lot of these skills need to be built up from childhood the same way that we would treat anything else as fundamental as literacy school age is when a lot of brain development happens in children and when they are learning about the social world and society what the world is like outside of their family unit. They're interacting with a broader sphere of people for the first time. We want them to experience it as completely normal that their opinion is solicited and contributing to the outcome, even if it doesn't always go their way. Like, yeah, those are valuable experiences. But the expectation that they have going out into the world should always be that their voice should matter on things. And, oh, look at that. We, uh just arrived at the station. We're here. We're at schools. The democracy train has pulled up. Time to get to work. Let's roll up our sleeves, grab our toolkits, our democratization toolkits. Yeah, right uh, here. And just, just a rag for the sweat. And this is tiring work. Yeah, a lot of sweat goes into building democracy. That's true. Yeah, no one said it was going to be easy when we got on this train, but I think it's worth it. Oh, it's enough talk. I guess it's time to get down to work. Hard work. Let's do it. So we love democracy. Our utopia is perfectly democratic, but not everybody's utopia would be perfectly democratic. There's actually people who are, you know, not always the same people. Some people are opposed to the idea of voting. Some people are opposed to the idea of people having a large amount of say in their lives. And people are opposed to the idea of people having a say in society broadly. 
They favor other systems. I can't believe it, but some people say democracy's bad. Yeah, it's a bit weird. History's got some strange stuff in it, and modern day society also. But yeah, let's dig in. Let's, you know, we can't be afraid to face criticisms of our ideas, right? If we want to be pro-democracy. That's democracy in itself. The free exchange of ideas is a key part of the values of an expressive democratic system. So... Yeah, to manage these competing interests and tensions in society. That's a Mm -hmm. great idea. Criticism number one, the people are too stupid to rule. They don't have enough information. Their brains don't work good enough. Not like the big-brained rulers of old whom we should return to. See, like the most generous interpretation of that is that realistically people are very busy. They don't have a lot of time to learn about everything. The idea of an informed vote is actually really hard to achieve across the entirety of the population. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Not everybody has all information. I think that's a common ground that us and the person making this criticism can start with. I think it's pretty well accepted. Like, that's why even in more directly democratic organizations, it's not that every single decision is being made by every person. Broad decision-making power is done in common, and then people will break off into groups that work on projects and can take that back to the main group. So not everybody has to know every detail of how everything is run in order to participate in a more centralized democratic process. But even besides that, like people will need a basic amount of information in order to cast an informed vote. But that should be easy for people to get. Like education should be really easy for people to get. So, yeah, I think we can think of elements of the education system as being extensions of the democratic system. I think it's true there is a necessity to make sure that it's easy for people to become informed, sort of like the broad basic knowledge that would help them grasp political questions relevant to their society. So like that's one piece here. And on the other hand, I think that a lot of democratic systems can deal quite elegantly with the differences of information that you might have someone who is an expert on something and someone who isn't an expert on something. And the sort of critique of democracy is, well, this expert's vote and this non-expert's vote have the same weight. I think it is permissible to think about systems where people can earn extra weight to their votes through accreditation. For example, like you would have medical votes being done by a medical body of doctors that are accredited as doctors. And that sort of workplace democracy there would intersect and connect with the general democracy, where the general democracy of like, say, your day to day political voting would be voting on the direction and priorities of the healthcare system. And then the workplace democracy of the doctors and specialists would be more about implementation and some of the more technical questions that come out of that stuff. But like, we don't want the values of carpenters to determine what is built by carpenters in society more than the general population. But we do want the expertise when it comes to carpentry to be reflected in the votes about how carpentry is standardized in society. So I just, I wanted to draw that, like, ideally you want to have these intersecting systems where expertise is reflected, but also even in a basic direct democratic sense, then like the type of consensus democracy that anarchists tend to do, where you try to find consensus as a group, there is a de facto expertise system built in through like the swarm effect of like you have two or three people in the room who know about a subject. So they cast the main points about what direction to go. And then everyone else 
with less expertise goes based on their intuition to sort of decide which of the expert voices that they're going to side with or push forward or help synthesize. So through that consensus process, not everyone needs to understand all of the implications of every decision that's made. It's just important that there's informed voices on any given subject. That information gap, this criticism of democracy is getting at, is already accommodated in the consensus process. There's sort of a de facto like expertise weighing system. It runs on like confidence and social skills and stuff. So that's a problem with it, I guess. But it works pretty good. Yeah. And I think there's the argument that people are too stupid. And so experts should make the decisions. But I think there's also a contingent of people who think that there's... I don't know how to put this any other way than some people are born to rule. Like they have the strength and the, and like, of course, nobody can be an expert on everything and that things need to be directed with like good values, but it shouldn't be through the democratic process. These good values come from heroes, great kings, you know, the billionaires who earned it. It's almost like the idea that like ruling is like a skill. I guess, coupled with the idea that skills are kind of like inborn and that the issue isn't that we need to like balance out the values of the people with the expertise of experts and all that stuff. But it's that we need to let the alphas be the alphas and rule us all because that's the natural order of things. Like we're the ignorant masses and they're the enlightened few. And like this can take a bunch of different forms. That's like the really brutal, like reactionary way to say it. But it's still sort of the underpinning idea to the technocrat one. Like, Yeah, it's just a bit less concentrated in that version. It's like expertise is everywhere rather than there's this one uber expert, the expert at ruling, the king or the... Well, and there's, there's people who are of like a certain sort of like political class that sort of fit in between there, although they'd totally hate the brutal ruling one where it's sort of like political decisions need to be made by political experts, you know, and like mm, that political yeah, right. expertise forms this sort of de facto divine right of kings where it's so transparent from the outside that they're idiots, that they're just like, yeah, this is probably really common, like in the people who actually participate in running the government in various ways, or maybe like in, in like major institutional parties, liberals, conservatives, stuff like that would have this sense of being set apart from the masses over whom they rule in like, again, not in a kingly way, but in kind of like we're the political class way. I'll be provocative here for a second. I think in order to be in a position like chair of the Democratic Party or something like that, where you're engaging with these systems constantly, even probably in like lower levels too, or even, I know I'll be really provocative, even to be a politician, all these people have to be, by their definition, anti-democracy extremists participating in this democratic system that's so stilted and broken and based on basic systems of polyarchy and systems of small authoritarian rule within limited context, you would have to really not care about democracy to be able to stick around in this stuff for a long time or have just incredible resolve. Or just be so kind of like confused that you think that is democracy. It's actually the best kind of democracy that could exist. That it's sort of like the Winston Churchill, democracy is the worst system except for all the others. Yeah, yeah. I think these people see democracy as like incredibly fragile and like this balance between the necessity of some kind of ruling political class and the necessity of 
having a, some democracy. And they're like, we've found this balance that actually doesn't fall apart right away. Like these liberal democracies keep rolling on and keep kind of working. Anything more democratic than this would obviously fall apart and is impossible pipe dream. Anything less democratic than this is pretty horrible and tyrannical. So like Winston Churchill, like it's not good. It's just better than all the other terrible options. And so maybe it's not your perfect imagined democracy, but this is democracy. This is what actual democracy is. This is actually existing democracy. And yeah, in the spirit of being fair-minded, like you're saying, it's not that they're saying democracy is bad. They're saying democracy is good with their mouth. And then behind the scenes, they're doing anti-democratic things to clamp down on democracy because it means a lack of control for various cliques for the purposes of achieving desired outcomes for the greater good. Yes, the real politique of it. It's the... And so, yeah, maybe they're like, yeah, that's democracy. That's uh, how to get things done. Someone else would do it the opposite way if we didn't do it. They're not thinking, oh, we have the divine rights of kings. We're the most extremist, anti-democratic conservatives in the world. They're not thinking that at all. No, no, they just share some assumptions with those people. Yeah, it's sort of like, you know, there's this big cultural debate about racism and the definition of racism and whether you can be racist by participating in a system or repetition of certain values and thoughts, or if racism needs to be motivated by the actual conscious hatred or dislike of other races. Mm -hmm. And to draw the metaphor, their relationship to democracy is like being as racist as possible without thinking you're racist. Oh my god, fuck, Justin. This morning you said you were going to clean up the fucking house by the time me and my parents got back from brunch. It's filthy, Justin. I'm humiliated. There's fucking bong water everywhere. I'm talking to my dad all brunch about borrowing his boat, talking about how responsible I'm going to be, and then it comes back to a fucking pigsty. I cannot overstate how much you are on my shit list right now. Holy shit. Bradley, you need to calm down. We didn't talk anything about cleaning up. I am not a mind reader. You said, yes, I'll clean the living room this morning. I was asleep. You opened your fucking eyes, Jason. Honestly, I don't even know what the fuck you're talking about. This is just like that democracy shit all over again. Yeah, this is that democracy shit all over again because you're not fucking listening to me. I'm saying Aristotle was right. Democracy is rule by the poor. The poor will inevitably vote away the riches of the rich. It's, it's not a sustainable system. It's not structurally sound. It just generates tension. Oh my God, open your eyes and take a look at the world. Who is running democracy? Is that the poor? No, it's the rich. Rich people have the only voice saying democracy is ruled by the poor. The only way the poor can rule is the dictatorship of the proletariat, as Marx proscribed, okay? It's over. This discussion is over. Jeffrey, you fucking act like, one, there is no benefit to the inherited structures of liberalism and existing property relations vis-a-vis -vis stability over the long term, and two, like I'm your fucking mother. I think you're right it's over. Over between us. You know, it's so fitting that you would be defending existing property relations in the same text that you break up with me, because you've always tried to treat me like you were my boss. Well, guess what? You can't fire me because I quit. I'm breaking up with you. 
And no, I don't think there's any benefit to a property system run under the rule by the rich. But I guess that makes sense why you like Aristotle and his hatred of the poor so much. Okay, yeah, I study the classics and I'm the bad guy. I'm starting to think that this isn't just an ideological thing, but maybe you just literally can't grasp these nuances. I've been worried about this for a while, but now it's not my problem. I just told my parents we were breaking up and guess who just got the boat keys? Newly single man takes boat trip. That's what the headline's gonna say tomorrow in the newspaper. Yeah, this is what it's all about for you, isn't it? Your parents' boat, your parents' approval, your parents' estate when they die. Do they know how often you bring that up? Your parents' liberal views on property relations? You know what? You're right. True democracy is the rule by the poor, and that's a good thing. We should rule over you. My family is better than your family because we have less money. As if you're some incredible proletarian. All of your rent throughout university was paid by your great uncle. You know what? Fuck it. Just fuck you. Like, seriously, pick up your shit. We're done, and the reason is rule by the poor wouldn't work. It's unjust, takes away the wealth from the rich too much in an instability-causing way. We need an enlightened centrism on that, and we need an enlightened centrism on a lot of things. Not that I would expect someone like you, who thinks in black and white, to be able to recognize that level of nuance. And honestly, you really did commit to clean up the fucking living room today, and I am humiliated. Fine. If that's it, then that's it. Allow me to make a few closing statements. One, democracy throughout history has always been a lie told to us by the rich, an illusion they sprinkle around like fairy dust to make us believe we have a say when really they're the ones running things. Also, Aristotle is a complete fucking dipshit. Also, so are you. Please clear you and your bougie parents out of our place so I can come get my stuff in peace. And so, our frustrated lovers would very recently told each other they cared about each other very much, who first met in a cooking class in the evenings, where they learned that they both loved Modest Mouse. Their first date was at Laser Tag. Justin and Bradley were right for each other at the time, but after four years and three months, it was over. And those are the breakup texts. Another critique of democracy that you'll run into a lot is that people will take the current democratic system and all of its problems and all of its cultural issues within democratic systems and parties and institutions and so on. And like the way that parliamentary or Republican democracy is structured in the countries that people live, they'll be like, look, this democracy doesn't work. The rich control the elections. Lobbyists have more power than ordinary people. A vote every four years doesn't matter. You can't recall them if they start doing bullshit. So, you know, like democracy is bad. I give up on democracy. You know, the confusion between the specifics of existing democracies and the general principle of democracy is often used to make these anti-democratic arguments to say like, well, you know, to deal with climate change, we're going to need to eventually have like sort of an authoritarian climate fascist who can just get the planet in line. And these sort of ideas or musings aren't uncommon amongst like political people who don't realize what the implications of that would be, which are like really awful. So when it comes to the use of specific criticisms of the existing democratic system, 
for the general principle of democracy, I think the best defense of democracy that I can give in that context is to agree and commiserate with the absence of democracy within our democratic system. I think everyone sort of knows that political campaigns are brutal, negative, narcissistic personality contests, which can really turn people into maniacs. And that even in places where there is campaign finance legislation, where like you take money out of politics, there's still an institutional advantage to the rich because they're able to fund think tanks that do communications work or research work or policy work, which is then able to be used for free by conservative political parties. So even with campaign finance reform, even if you eliminate super PACs, even if you move down that a lot, like the rich have this huge advantage. And generally speaking, like campaigns are really like wasteful, negative things. They use like a lot of all those signs on the side of the road and stuff. They just throw them out afterwards. And then in power, left wing governments face like the threat of a capital strike. So they need to sort of walk the line with industry and business. They can't really enforce or legislate freely the will of the people without wheeling and dealing with the powerful under our system. So I agree wholeheartedly that our democratic system currently doesn't work. And many specific criticisms that a lot of people would have about it, you'd find me in total agreement. The difference is, I think that the problem with the current system is that it's not democratic enough. The liberal anti-democrats here in the year 2020 will use the examples of Brexit and Trump primarily to make their anti-democratic arguments be like, look, you know, there's a little bit too much democracy here with this direct vote on Brexit. It should never come to that. We should pull back democracy sometimes. Yeah, it'll be couched in terms of critiques of populism and like capitulating to populism. And like Prime Minister Justin Trudeau campaigned on moving to a proportional electoral system. Many, many people voted for him because of that promise specifically, because they thought it would break the sort of stranglehold on Canadian politics, the two-party system. Right. And then as one of the two parties, he cynically broke that promise and his excuse was, well, people will vote for Nazis and there'll be Nazis in power unless we can game the system to keep them out. Perfect case study of the anti-democratic extremist within the sort of like democratic order. Yeah, like cynically using the promise of more democracy during your campaign because it's popular and then like almost immediately about facing not just for procedural reasons, but mentioning a ideological reason that is an argument against democracy. If we have too much democracy, fringe political groups like Nazis, for example, will have more say and that's bad. So we shouldn't make it more democratic. That is a despicable thing for someone to to do in the democratic system, to generate cynicism about democracy via the act of promising an optimistic view of democracy. That is some like 40 chess evil shit. Like it's that's like. Like, that, that's what and, a demon would do. And that even someone who agrees with you about that could then take this whole thing that just happened and say, see, this is why democracy, trying to vote to get more democracy, it doesn't work. This is an example of democracy not working. We need to affirm the competence and ethics of humanity as a whole. We need to blame not everyone, but the people who are actually responsible. The crises that we face are a result of people not having a choice and not having a say in what happened to them and what happened to the world. And also, I just want to acknowledge that democracy is an ongoing and incompleted experiment. There's going to be hiccups and stuff on the way. There's going to be serious problems or malappropriations of democracy. 
But in the long term, we don't have a choice but to try to find a better way to make decisions together and bring everyone on board and use everyone's power and capacity to the best possible ends and give everyone a meaningful say. So that's what democracy is. If you agree with that, then I think our proposal for pure 100% democracy, the deepest full-on democratic world, fully democratized luxury library socialism, I think affirming the competence of people is part of what being a Democrat is and not believing in people is part of being anti-Democrat. Ooh, broke a sweat democratizing those schools. Yeah, that was a tough one. I'm looking forward to this uh, break as we uh, get back on the train and head towards the next stop. Just got to rest these weary bones. Whew, this is, the democracy train has actually got pretty good seats. This is nice. And there's no first class on the democracy train. All the seats are good, which I really like. But yeah, what is the next stop after this? Here, let me unfold the aforementioned map. Oh yeah, it always helps us out when we're not sure what's next. Looks like the next stop on the democracy train is the workplace. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, I mean, a great thing about workplace democracy is that as long as work needs to be done, people are going to be spending quite a bit of their time in the workplace. It's a major component of people's lives. And if it's not democratized, it's basically just the private anti-democratic tyranny that takes up a large piece of our society. I mean, without workplace democracy, we don't meaningfully have democracy. Yeah, exactly. It's really weird that in society we have this like very public visceral distaste for non-democratic nations. Like, oh, isn't that horrible? There's a strong man. But so many people just don't have the same feelings towards a workplace that has a single person or small group of people calling all the shots and those at the lower levels having zero control over their day-to-day activities or towards the larger goals or actions of the company as it relates to things that might be relevant to them like environmental policies or vacation policies. There's all kinds of things that affect workers that they have no say over other than the very brute feedback of okay i'm willing to quit and do all the work necessary for me to go find another job and this is also something where we have examples of like existing democratic workplaces that function quite well and also tend to disprove the sort of concern trolling or hand-wringing that you might hear about the risks of, oh, the workers are just going to vote for unlimited recess. No more producing widget. We're going to get paid for permanent recesses. In fact, we're all getting raises. When you give workers that sense of responsibility over their workplaces, good things happen. The human conscience of people shines through in the end more when there's more human consciences applied to a decision. So democratic workplaces are more likely to have better environmental policy or have a tendency away from producing things that are socially harmful just because they're productive. And there's an example of a democratic factory that was producing military supplies. And when they were democratized, they democratically decided that they were going to focus their production instead on producing things that they thought that had more social value. If I remember correctly, that factory ended up not lasting forever, but the principle does apply. <laughs> like, it, no one said it was going to be easy to democratize workplaces. But uh, there is data that worker co-ops actually are more resilient during economic recessions than non-worker co-ops, and I think they have a bit more flexibility, and there's other good data about them, too. 
in terms of effectiveness in various economic indicators. Another reason why workplace democracy is so important is because it's just kind of like messed up that certain people have to do all the crappy work like, oh, you know, start at a janitorial job and you can maybe work your way up. Or like some people just really easily are able to get cushy office jobs, whereas other people are not often based on like who you know. And like there's, there's lots of weird stratification that happens in workplaces because of these stiff, rigid roles. And what you see in a lot of like democratically run places is that those rigid roles start to blur a little bit. And it's not that some people aren't better at being a point person and doing like managerial work and other people aren't better at doing more hands-on work. Like people have different strengths, but in a democratic workplace where everyone expects because of their upbringing in a democratic school, everybody expects to have a say in what's going on. They'll, they'll also expect that the onerous and crappy work is shared among the people and that everybody gets an opportunity to participate in some kind of meaningful work that gives them uh, interaction with the organization on a higher level. Now, obviously, there's going to be challenges in implementing a democratic workplace in a largely undemocratic society where people don't have a sense of a shared democratic culture and where your competitors in the marketplace might be able to achieve economic benefit by cutting ethical corners. But in a more democratized society where maybe you could have, for example, a much higher tax rate on companies that are run like authoritarian dictatorships than you would have a tax rate on a company that's run as a directly democratically controlled co-op. We can structure society to help aid this transition from an undemocratic culture to a democratic culture. So there's some unique challenges that come in trying to create a democratic workplace in this environment. But then even within this stilted and tough context, you can find these glowing examples of really successful implementations of it. It really makes you imagine what's possible if we start at the beginning and move to democratize everything like this train is seeking to do. Like warmongering politicians always say, oh, well, let's go somewhere to spread democracy. They have no respect for democracy whatsoever. It's good enough to be this bizarre excuse to do like foreign military invasions. Yeah, there's so many places within the country that democracy has not yet spread to. Schools, work. Actually, I talked to my boomer uncle about this and he said, why are we bringing democracy all over the world? We need to get democracy at home for our veterans. And it's true. My uncle's right. We need to democratize the military. That's a workplace. Yeah, absolutely. You can't tell me that's not a job. The military, that's a very demanding job. And what would the world look like if we democratized the militaries and police forces? If we democratized the office buildings and the work sites? If we go a step further, if we democratize welfare and people who are on social assistance got to have a common voice around the way that things like food stamps, welfare, and disability benefits were delivered. Maybe not exactly a workplace, but still a powerful place for people to have control over their own lives, the places where their income is earned. Yeah, it's a great point because we talk about schools, workplaces, but just because it might not fit into one of the broad categories of stop on the train doesn't mean we don't want to democratize it. So it's yeah, important to mention that. Oh, it looks like the workplace stop is coming up. It's, uh, whew. Oh, yeah. Oh, I feel like I just caught my breath, but I guess... It's funny because it's like you're talking about democracy, all this great stuff, and then it's time to put the rubber to the road, get off the train, and start building democracy. And you're like, hey, this is actually backbreaking labor. Yeah, talking about it is a lot of fun, and it's really energizing, but definitely is a lot of work. It's got to so. start with someone. You know, someone has to get off the train and start building. And I see a lot of people around here, they're all sort of thinking the same thing we are. I'm so tired from all that democracy. 
Come on, guys. We can do it. Let's yeah, do let's it. do it. Let's grab our tools. Get your toolbox. Grab a few extra regs this time. I mean, let's be realistic. Oh, yeah. More sweat. For sure. Maybe I'll just... We can boost morale with a little joke. Hey, what do you call someone who opposes democracy? An enemy for life. <laughs> Uh, uh, just kidding. Well, uh, I mean, it's just a joke in the sense that I hope that they come around. It might not be for life. So when you talk about having like a direct democracy, like a democracy that reflects voters' preferences and values and detail, it's an expressive system. The criticism that you'll hear a lot with that sort of thing is that sounds really hard. It sounds like it's going to take a lot of time. And yeah. I don't actually love voting that much. I'm not like a voting enthusiast. I don't have like a big foam voting hand that's like holding a ballot that I bring out to vote. Yeah. The, like direct democracy, like very broadly is voting on issues rather than voting on a person who can pick all the issues for you. So it's like, there's going to be a lot more things to vote on and a lot more things you're expected to know about. Like one definition of democracy is self-management, that people should be able to manage their own lives and their own affairs with other people uh, together rather than other people managing you. But like being a manager is work. It's sort of like in a workplace, if you're an employee and you don't like your boss and stuff, although it's a dehumanizing in the sense and bad situation to be oppressed in a horrible workplace, at least you get to have that private joy of disliking your boss and knowing that the workplace isn't up to you. But if you're the manager, you actually sort of like feel responsible for the place. And that's really burdensome. In that same sort of sense, at least in this society, we get to like point at the politicians and be like, Justin Trudeau, Hillary Clinton, you're not good enough. Blah, 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 blah. I'm perfect and you're bad. And that's nice for us. With a direct democratic system, you actually have to face all those tough like choices. And like, I'm not letting them off the hook and saying that they had super hard choices. They obviously had a lack of political courage in a time that it was necessary. Don't get me started about that. I'm just saying that being responsible for for the world and being responsible to vote on everything is sort of burdensome. It's something that if you take it seriously, it's a responsibility and you assume that direct democracy means voting on absolutely everything. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of responsibility. It's something that people might say, you know, that doesn't sound good. I want to fight for a utopia that sounds good. And that sounds hard. Yeah, this relates to to a lot of times, I think people have the experience of participating in some kind of directly democratic institution or group and you quickly start to realize that like from the outside your experience is that of being limited by these terrible decisions being made by your boss for example imposing things on you and your experience of like having your autonomy and freedom limited and your ability to choose for yourself limited and you're imagining this democratic organization you could participate in where there's no boss where everyone decides things for themselves and you imagine it being like super freeing the shackles being torn off there's no more boss telling you what to do we're all going to work together and decide for ourselves it's going to be so great it's going to be this wide open space of possibility and it's amazing and beautiful and then you show up at the meeting and like you're arguing about pamphlet colors for <laughs> 40 minutes. And you're like, wait, 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 wait. This actually like really sucks. And I mean like 40 minute pamphlet, like that's dysfunctional and like there's probably ways to avoid that specifically. But even like functioning at its very best, it's going to be a, a lot of active mental energy going towards running things.
So I think that airing that criticism helps shape the discussion on how we actually want the democratic system to function and what the function of the democratic system is. Is the democratic function of a functioning democracy that everyone across the entire United States gets to all vote together on the color of the pamphlet that's released from the Parks Department from their yearly update or something like that? Like, obviously not. That's not what people are clamoring for. That's not what people go in the streets for. That's not what the history of democracy has been a fight for. In a functioning democracy, maybe you could have an option to weigh in on that if it really tickles your fancy. But it would have to be, obviously, it makes sense for it to be an opt-in. I just want to draw the distinction between the assumption that direct democracy means that everyone votes on everything and that you're not free until you're done, (laughs) (laughs) and a system where when you use your political voice, it has an impact at all. So how do you have a maximally impactive voice between everyone in an interdependent way? I think like generally what you want to build is a system where there are like different tiers or different levels of engagement. Like obviously like you shouldn't have to vote at all if you don't want to. Like say you're just this extremely curmudgeonly person, like you're against voting, you're against democracy and you're in this fully directly democratic society against your will and your personal protest against the society is that you refuse to vote on anything. That's fine. And then on the flip side of that, you're someone who like deeply cares about politics. You want to not just use your vote, but like engage in political organizing all the time to help rally other votes and other political organizations and things towards the ends that you like. That should be an avenue that anyone who wants to can participate in. That shouldn't be the domain of like having monetary privilege or the privilege of knowing certain people or living certain places. That should be open to everyone. And in between those two levels of engagement, nothing and everything, there should be a whole bunch of opportunities to either accept or decline more engagement in the system. So that's super vague, kind of like a meta statement, but I think that's like a guiding principle here. And I think there's a lot of different strategies you could use to do that in a whole bunch of different contexts, but generally setting it up so that anytime a person notices something working in a way that they don't like, there's an easy way to get engaged in that process democratically. Yeah, it's almost like saying, oh, they're going to tear down the public park in my neighborhood to build an overpass through it. It'd be too much work for all of us to be able to say that we don't want that. (laughs) Like what people are looking for in democracy is that experience. They're looking for the experience of when something happens that is affecting them, they want to be able to respond to a system that they can see is reactive. I can acknowledge the challenge of maybe a culture where it's assumed that everyone's going to vote and it's like sort of burdensome that you feel like everyone's putting this pressure on you or something like that. That's one potential hypothetical (laughs) anxious dystopian direct democracy. But we can't let that meager vision of discomfort override our grand vision of people having a say in their own lives in a world where they never have. And I mean, like people do have a say in their own lives to a limited capacity, but if you design the system to give everyone a maximal say in their own lives, you're starting to describe a directly democratic system. You're starting to describe meaningful freedom, the choice to actually do things and thrive freely. Oh man, there's a lot of workplaces. Yeah. (laughs) I thought 
that democratizing the schools filled a lot of sweat rags. Yeah, you brought way more rags this time, but you still ran out at the same percentage of being done just because it was so much more work. And, you know, we're all getting tired, too, so it's like, ah, whew. Uh, does this train have a sleeping carriage, maybe, for a little quick nap on the way to the next stop? Or oh, yeah, no, no sleeping carriage? So. Oh. Yeah, no, it makes sense. It yeah. will never room for everyone. Here, let's just see. It says in the uh, map here. I'll unfold this. I'm going to sit um, down. The ni- seats are nice. It's all in one run. We're doing this all in one run. Yeah, says, so. one-time event, the democracy train. Got to get it all done. Well, you only need it once. So the next stop, it looks like, here is the neighborhoods. Oh, that's fun. Sort of makes me a bit socially anxious, though, in a new way. Yeah, it's a bit different. I mean, maybe it's just because I'm, like, so tired. Like, you know, after a long day at school or work, you come home. Maybe you don't want to, like, interact with all your neighbors. You're kind of out of social energy at that point. You're, like, trying to get in your house and your neighbors have the door open. They're like, Aaron, you're here. Come on, we're having a vote. What do you think about all these particular issues? Don't you want to make decisions and participate in having rules enacted that you're then going to have to follow when within the neighborhood? We're having a fight about the color of this pamphlet. Can you pick a side? Yeah, one person either way will tip the balance on that. So that's no weird social dynamics with that. But actually, I mean, let's, let's think about the ethics for a second. You know, there's a lot of our life that is not encompassed in schools and the workplace, obviously. Like, the school is the main part of students' lives, and the workplace is the main part of people who work's lives. But there's a lot of people, like, for example, seniors or people whose work is their home, like homemakers or people who focus on raising children that are excluded from those spheres and need to have democratic representation through some board. So you could have like the stay-at-home parents union. You could have like a seniors advocacy sort of thing. And I think those structures make sense too. But the real power of the neighborhood organization, I think, is one of the proposals that's floating around sort of direct democratic spheres is this idea of like a nested democratic body like that starts at the neighborhood and then works its way up to the top and functions basically as the political system of society the same way that like voting in elections does now. Yeah, so if you do have school democracies and workplace democracies or if you have a homemakers union or other interest groups like that, they need to interact with each other. So I think the way they would do that would be within these broader assemblies that include everyone. This is home base. In the same way that after you're done a day of work, you come back home in a society where there's all these different democracies and all these different areas of life, there needs to be a kind of unifying system underneath them that can interact with them. If you create nested councils of like, say, 40 to 50 people, it takes a surprisingly few levels of nested councils to go from the local to the federal level. According just like to my quick calculations here, if you have councils of 50, it only takes like six nested councils to have everyone on earth represented through nested councils. So if you start with a group of 50, send one person to a new group of 50, that group of 50 sends one person to the next one up, and so on and so on. It only takes six times to encompass the entire world population. It only takes like four times to encompass your average country. Countries would vary between the amount of delegates at the highest council based on the amount of people at the highest council would change. Like, you know, once you get up to 50, then do you maybe split into two councils of 25? I can also see a lot of intricacies with some neighborhoods just having 100 people living in them and some have 80 people living, like where it makes sense to draw boundaries. Like, 50 isn't a magic number, it's just for the purpose of demonstrating how few levels it would take. It means that everyone on Earth is just six degrees of Kevin Bacon away from the president. Any individual 
they have a direct human connection to a person who has a direct human connection to a person who has a direct human connection to a person and at the top is the sort of like top representative 50 people or whatever yeah and i get the appeal of that is sort of like a final vision of a totalizing direct democracy and that's why we're on the democracy train yeah and again like a neighborhood democracy going to the smallest level of this thing i think sometimes a neighborhood democracy is more difficult for people to imagine because there's currently nothing running the neighborhood like we don't break politics down to that level generally but it's a place where we spend so much of our time and it's a place where having our voices heard could be really really effective sometimes the broader rules based on municipalities and states and things just don't work that well when applied to the granular level of a neighborhood like how say property lines are divided or rules for how high a certain fence things needs to be like there's a lot of particularities there that can be expressed better through a local council thing and it could also be a place where neighbors could go to resolve disputes like if one person wants to put up a fence between the two properties and they other person liked how it was before with it open and they can't come to an agreement on it the border between two people's homes is something they should both have a say in and if they can't come to an agreement then the neighborhood can help with that i I think that's a beautiful way to live and better than a type of system where the smallest level of government is the city like you can have some effect on city politics more so obviously than regional or federal but having an effect in a neighborhood politics would be extremely high because of how few people are involved and it would really just again make having democracy and having a say in what you're doing part of everyday life in a really deep way and train people to expect democracy and to participate in it almost automatically because it's everywhere Next stop on the democracy train, choo-choo, it's the neighborhoods, because we're going to build a global political democracy that connects every neighborhood in the world. Yeah, but yeah. not the easiest task. I thought it would be easier, actually, just getting free and like... Yeah, the freedom sh- of democracy, democracy and yeah. we control our lives, and then it's like, oh, wait, this is... What have Ooh. I signed up for? <laughs> Buy the ticket, take the train, that's what they say. I'm committed to it. Oh, man, and... Yeah, it looks like we're reaching the stop. Maybe time to roll up our sleeves once again. And no one said it was going to be easy, and it's definitely a lot of hard work, a lot of sweat. Let's just grab the regs. One thing you can't say bad about the democracy train is the rag cleaning service. Oh. All of those dirty rags have now been dry cleaned. They're fluffy again. Mm-hmm. Well, no, the staff are such sweethearts, too. One of them actually heard me crying earlier about a personal issue and consoled me. I thought it was incredible. And they keep us hydrated, too. Yeah, running the water tubes from the train out to the field so we can get our turn out the end of the tube. It's so good. The water tubes. I also love the tubes that take the poo away. Mm-hmm. And Common I'm, thing. My compliments to them, they really keep those tubes sorted. The out tube is the out tube, and the in tube is the in tube. And oh, yeah. <laughs> if they ever mix them up, I mean, that would be... Oh, boy. Well, that was good. that's a good pep talk. Okay, I'm ready to grab the toolbox, and let's get off. Yeah, these wonderful staff people are counting on us. Let's do it. The whole world is. Let's democratize everything. Another way to help people have a voice without necessarily having to learn about everything themselves is liquid democracy or delegative democracy, which is the idea that in a directly democratic system, you could 
delegate your vote to someone else on particular issues or on all issues. Say you're one of those people who has little interest in voting, but you have a friend and you really trust them and agree with the things that they say generally about politics, you can delegate your vote to them. The German Pirate Party uses a version of this where you can log on and cast your vote or give your vote to other people. Their version is called Liquid Feedback. I think the possibility for liquid democracy through like software programs is like really, really powerful. And like I tend to think of the perfectly democratic system of the future having many different facets and using different types of democracy in different circumstances based on context and so on. But liquid democracy, I think, has a big future around the corner as we move to democratize society. Some criticisms that you might find of liquid democracy in practice. I mean, if you talk to people who are in the German Pirate Party, I, I remember back in around 2012 when I was sort of plugged into this stuff, that there was some serious like anger and vitriol and like factionalism and stuff. They at one point instituted pony time, which was during face-to-face meetings. If things got out of hand, everyone was forced to watch My Little Pony for an episode. Yeah, just to get everyone back in a good headspace. Yeah, and incentivize not going that far that everyone would be forced to do that. Yeah, I could see it descending into kind of like factionalism things where like certain strong personalities garner a lot of votes and are able to kind of be power figures because they have their little factions behind them. I think that is maybe something to be wary of about liquid democracy as a form, but that's also just sort of the way it already works. The only difference is that under this current system, strong personalities need to bring everyone to the same room to do like vote stacking or whatever, or move their followers out to the actual polls to do it. Under a liquid democracy system, they can just sort of like set it and forget it, be like, hey, strong personality, take my vote you're in charge and then those strong personalities are vying on this like tier of like these democracy demigods are fighting down for support and people are like jumping from one person to the other based on debates they have and stuff i've always liked the idea of limiting the amount of people that a person could be assigned the votes of so this might depend on how big like if it's a country versus an organization obviously that number is going to be different i don't know where it would land somewhere in the hundreds or the thousands maybe so that you don't have this thing end up where like two hyper powerful people with like two billion votes each and then the other four billion votes spread across like hundreds of people i think limiting the amount of vote sway one person could have is reasonable and like they could probably end up creating affinity groups and doing things and like you pledge your vote to an affinity group and they get spread among the delegates in that group you know things like that would make a lot of sense and i think could control for some of the strongman type stuff I like the idea of one possible strategy of dealing with that is like, yeah, depersonalizing it. Like you can delegate your vote to organizations and you can freely make an organization just as one individual. But like you could have like a mandatory structure of some kind, like what's a legitimate democratic pod of people like. Right. So you can structure the democracy into the institutions to prevent like dictator power from happening. I think your idea about like limiting the amount makes sense. The thing that squigs me about that is like, okay, say I'm a voter. It's like, oh, it's a liquid system. You can say who you want to vote for. And I'm just like, just getting into politics. I'm so excited. I've just been reading my Noam Chomsky. And I'm like, this guy gets it. Like he deserves my vote. And I want to give Noam Chomsky my vote. And they won't fucking let me give Noam Chomsky my vote because too many people agree. It's like, what, his ideas are too good. I have to find someone else. Or like they have like this system that if you go on a website, 
right? They'll hook you up with someone who pays attention to how Chomsky votes and then votes the same way as him. So I'm part of this other cluster of a thousand following a Chomsky clone. And it's like I have to go through all this weird bureaucracy. Because my my choice as a voter is that Noam's right. I want to back Noam. And like I'm denied my privilege of being able to vote for what Noam was voting for. Well, so I mean, like, you still do with the groups. Oh, yeah. I've be dealt into this whole bizarre ritual of a well, vote. It's not a whole bizarre ritual. <laughs> you go on the site, you see Noam Chomsky's group, they just pop you in a thing, and you're done. Easy. Oh, I'm going through bizarre this whole bizarre ritual, ritual because like, I want to. <laughs> they, they're like, put you in a robe and like sprinkle water on you. <laughs> But like, no, I get you. You're right. The like, there's another 300th million person who wants PewDiePie to be their vote person should be the same as the first person who wants PewDiePie to be their delegate. It's all the same. The three billionth. If each of those votes is a person expressing their preferences for PewDiePie as a director at large of Earth, then who am I to say? (laughs) What are you, an anti-Democrat? Maybe another angle to tackle this problem of like too much power with someone. You could have a system where... When votes actually go through, the person who's delegated their vote has to approve it. Your votes are all lined up. Go through this document. You can scroll to the bottom and just hit agree if you want, like everyone has that right in our society. Mm -hmm. But at the very least, it's not actually that Joe Rogan and PewDiePie are voting on behalf of their millions of people without them even knowing what's going on. Yeah, I've thought about this before. It's like you get a code, an autofill code. Like Joe Rogan on his podcast every day says, you know, make sure you vote with the JXE4Y voting code. And it autofills your whole ballot with everything Joe wants you to vote. You know, maybe you disagree with Joe on one thing regarding MMA stuff and you switch your vote on that and everything else you leave. Oh, yeah. The top of the podcast. Yeah. These mattresses are great. Hey, you should shave your pubes with this. Vote this way. Vote on everything this way. (laughs) Um, And oh, this underwear is so soft. I've thought before that there could be a system of voting regret or a grace period in which like when a vote happens, the votes are immediately tallied up. And I feel like that is the period in time when decisions are announced in the aftermath when people kind of rush to say, oh, wait, is this what I really wanted? So if there was some decision made by the- when people Google, what is Brexit? Yeah, exactly. Like right after the vote happened. (laughs) What does Brexit mean for us? What's going to happen now? If there had been like a five-day grace period after the Brexit vote where people were allowed to go in and change their vote based on immediate kind of regret or uncertainty, or I feel like it's a good reflective mechanism to include. But basically, I feel like how this would actually work in the real world is we would try some of this stuff out and then adjust various things as we go you madman no you have to have a fully finished blueprint and then you put it in place all at once there's no trying things out experiment i can't even say this ironically experimentalism is so important it's so fundamental all political thought and experience should be partially based on this premise of experimentation pressing boundaries trying stuff out trying things alternative ways until you find something that works it's just like No shit. And the same thing applies for democracy as it applies for everything in the world or should. And it's a good thing. It's really, it's just acting in accordance with the way reality works. It's wonderful. Yeah. And I like, I think everyone would agree with what you just said when they heard you say it. But seven and a half billion. Thank you. But people, (laughs) (laughs) but people still, if they hear someone pitching them liquid democracy, like, hey, I heard about this thing. It's this idea where you like, delegate your votes to someone and they say, oh, well, what about this potentially bad outcome? And just say that you don't have a great answer to it. And then that person can be like, 
see, that would never work. And I don't have to think about it. I don't want to imagine that anymore. But like the obvious answer is, yeah, that would be something we'd have to like figure out. Let's brainstorm some solutions to that. What patches might work for that? The problem with putting forward like your perfect blueprint is that people are going to poke holes in it because you can always poke holes in every perfect blueprint, like maybe not for a building that's structurally sound i think <laughs> you might be able to make a blueprint there that's like solid and meets regulation i'm not saying like not a literal blueprint but like a political blueprint for the future or for how an organization's going to run these theoretical things you're always going to be able to poke holes in theoretical logic systems by just coming at it with a different assumption or you have to actually try it out Mm -hmm. and, and I think the criticisms that come of blueprints before these blueprints are put into action are also like really unlikely to be the actual problems when you put it in practice. Like that's the great thing about experimentalism is you get an idea, you try it, you do it, you see what works and doesn't work about actually doing it in the real world. And then you adjust the theory and try again. There's many names for this process, mm -hmm. but I think experimentalism is a really good summary of it in a way that it's a good intuition pump. We now go to the crisis in the schoolyard, where incidents like this are happening across the country. Hey kid, uh, what kind of voting system you like? Oh, I, I prefer a ranked ballot. I mean, a proportional if possible. Wait, seriously? Did you just say a ranked ballot? <laughs> oh my god. I'm gonna push you in the dirt. Ranked uh, ballot. What's wrong with a ranked ballot? I like oh, it. What's wrong with a ranked ballot? I like it. Ever heard of Arrow's impossibility theorem, nerd? Actually, ranked ballots are mathematically incapable of meeting three conditions. Which conditions? Which conditions? Oh my god. What a loser. Hey everybody, he's asking me which conditions ranked ballots can't meet. Nerd. <laughs> loser. Uh, yeah, that's right. Spit on him too. <laughs> I just want a more expressive system than first past the post. Well, maybe you should have learned about math first, and then you would have known that a ranked choice system cannot satisfy that there be no dictator, no one who the system agrees with completely, that if every voter prefers A to B, then so will the group, and that the relative positions of A and B in the group ranking will depend on their relative positions in individual rankings, but not depend on the individual rankings of any irrelevant alternative C. I, 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 I'm going to have to look this up and think about it. Oh I, my god, Era won the Nobel Prize in economics for figuring this out. Loser! Loser. Loser. Can't believe you support a ranked Aren't choice Aren't you familiar bet. with the historic Nobel Prize winners in economics? Nerd. Rub dirt in his hair. Nitty. I haven't already learned everything. This is what you get for daring to dream about a better system. Hey, stop that. Oh my God. Who is this now? Get on the ground with them and let everyone spit on you. What you're doing to him isn't right. What are you going to do about it? I don't mean ethically. I mean... Philosophically wrong. Your understanding of Arrow's impossibility theorem is wrong. No. All of the criteria that you outlined in Arrow's impossibility theorem actually can be accomplished with voting systems like range voting, which is when you rank each person by giving them a score between 1 and 10. It allows for a greater fidelity of information. No, no, this can't be. That's, that doesn't make sense. No. It's impossible. No, nothing can meet those three criteria. Even Ken Arrow, that the theorem was named after because he created it, agreed in a 2012 podcast interview that the no. impossibility theorem does indeed not apply to a range voting type system. I would have heard about this. It's, you're making that up. <laughs> you have to be making that up. And he even it's said, math. It's math. He even said at the time of interview in 2012 that he thought a type of range voting system with three or four options would be the best single winner system. Oh, oh. 
Oh my, oh no. What? No, nobody look. Nothing happened. Oh my god. The bully uh, just pooed his pants. No, I didn't. That's not what happened. I just have to go oh inside. Oh my god, the bully pooed his pants. No. Pooed his pants. 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 Here, get up. They won't be spitting on you and shoving your face in the dirt no, anymore. Thanks. Oh, man. <laughs> that range voting stuff sounds pretty cool. And look, just between you and me, now that they're all gone, range voting isn't like a panacea. You actually need to have a really complex democratic system that has different types of democracies that interlock with each other in a way that's dynamic. Range voting is fine within that context, but I was just trying to get them off your back. I'm not even like a range voting guy. Yeah, and what's with these three criteria? I never said I thought anything would meet those three criteria. The, the I didn't even know what they're talking oddest. about. It's the third criteria is oddest. Are you like, trying to bring math, like pure logic theorems? and like, It's a logic it's, theorem that only applies to like a very specific type of voting system by his definition. And there were some applications that people got from it, which is why he got that Nobel Prize or whatever. But like, I've heard people use it to say like democracy is impossible or really hard before the, yeah, the substance of it. Yeah, just dishonest. Yeah. So another criticism of direct democracy, you hear it expressed a lot as like, oh, democracy. So you mean five wolves voting to eat one sheep. They all get one vote, one animal, one vote. The tyranny of the majority and like sometimes the people in society who need the most help and protection are actually people who are numerical minority groups in the society and it's very possible for majority groups in society to either not care about the concerns of minority groups or to be outright hostile to those concerns so in like this perfectly democratic system where the majority always wins won't that mean that the white workers at the factory could vote to oppress the black workers, etc., if there's more of them? I just realized as you were giving this idea, like a good faith attempt to describe the heart of the tyranny of the majority idea, mm. but I just like, I really think the whole thing is wrong. There's never been a time where we actually gave democratic control to the vast majority of people and saw the example of like, oh, look, they voted to make racism legal. Racism being legal has always come down from more aristocratic lines of entitlement and hierarchy. Like racism has been codified in legal codes all around the world for hundreds and hundreds of years during a period where we had almost no democracy. So why would we think that making democracy is going to cause all these racist rights taking away things? We never even tried it. The only thing we've ever tried is not having democracy, and it's been <laughs> the most racist shit I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, uh, no, that's a really good point. I, I do think there are examples you could point to of like, you know, states passing ballot measures to decrease the rights of gay people or other various like majority voting to take away rights of minority, like stuff like that has happened. And you could imagine it happening in a democratic society for sure. But like, I think as an overarching point, absolutely, it's important to point out that like the alternative democracy does not have a good track record on this stuff at all. 
But also, I think it's a mistake to think that democracy necessarily means a simple majority vote on every issue. Depending on context, you're going to want to have sometimes super majorities being necessary to pass certain things. Smaller things maybe operate on consensus basis issues or maybe more important things like certain judicial processes should operate on a consensus basis. I could see arguments for that in like a Supreme Court type scenario. The 51% beating 49% two-way democracy that we're sort of used to is just the worst example of democracy We really should not use our stilted, horrible experience under a broken system of democracy that was made a couple hundred years ago when everyone was like so racist and sexist and classist, it would boggle your mind. The history of hierarchy and ideology around the institutions that we still use, horrifying stuff. It's not a good barometer on on democracy. 51% should rarely beat 49%. I think a simple vote on a trivial issue, like say pamphlet color between two, could come (laughs) down to a 51-49. And know what? The 49's got to suck it up. But that brings something up about the way this sort of system works, like in the way that our first-past-the-post system works where you have whoever gets the most votes wins. Voting creates losers in the current system. It's undemocratic. Like, why create so many losers? We can make a system that creates more winners. That feeling of your favored candidate losing an election shouldn't be the feeling that people get when they think of democracy. It's just a sign of our broken system. But also, some things are so fundamental that they should no longer be up for discussion or debate, except through a very elaborate process, like constitutional measures, like democratic choices that are are locked in for the long term for the purposes of shaping the discussion towards productive ends. Like, for example, and this is something fundamental that if you have experienced in direct democracy, you'll understand, which is that voting on the very purpose of what you're voting on is a dead end. Like, you want to be voting towards ends. You want to have a direction. So you can set up a constitution that sets a direction for we are the country that is going to provide enough wheat for all of our citizens. Our society upholds human rights that are held in this document. This document is amended by this process. And like you can just create legal structures that cannot be easily overridden by simple votes that protect people's basic fundamental human rights. And you can work to expand that circle of rights over time. Yeah, absolutely. I think having that kind of infrastructure in place is essential. Having these foundational documents like bills of rights and constitutions that provide a common direction and purpose and like basic principles that should not go without can help to structure what we're doing with a democratic society in a way that tilts it towards beneficial ends. I think without any kind of like organizing structure behind it in that way, it isn't going to work very well. And like the way I see this constitution type thing working in a neighborhood democracy spread across the world would be various proposals being implemented at different levels and like regional constitutions being ratified in certain places and building up until like once you have this global system set up with the one council of councils up at the top there would be discussions and like a writing of the constitution and amendment process and like a very collaborative world inclusive process of building this document that everyone eventually assents to through the voting process. And then you can make amendments to constitutions, but the process should be fairly arduous so that it's only done for really important things. And it should require, if not a consensus, then something 
pretty close to a consensus so that you avoid any amendment to oppress a, the certain group or whatever. Any seconders for the, uh, <laughs> the, for, amendment. the for the amendment to oppress the second group? Just do a simple majority vote. A simple majority <laughs> vote, folks. Uh, that's obviously a place where consensus would be a, a really strong countermeasure. You know, that's something that's worth blocking. Yeah. But also just to connect to that tyranny of the majority stuff in the historical context, again, is a lot of these cases where you actually have legally codified racism, you have a disenfranchised minority. So it's not even that they don't have more than 50%. Like, so for example, in Haiti, if they had a simple majority vote in Haiti, slavery would be over, assuming that enslaved people are human beings who get votes. Yeah, exactly. So the tyranny of the majority stuff, eh, not so much, not like a big one. So... I think about this democracy stuff a lot. I'm worried about some parts of it. Not that part. That part's going to be fine. I feel like we also had a bunch of great answers to it, to be fair to us. That's true. To be fair to us. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, oh, man. What a nice neighborhood. (sighs) Man. It's it's time to get back on the train. It's a lot of democratizing to do in one day. Yeah, it does. It really takes a toll on your energy. Yeah, and just like, they seem like nice enough people, but I just can't, I can't click into that right now. Hopefully we get a little bit of rest. You don't want to cause burnout in the people democratizing on the front lines. Yeah, like, these are nice seats, but... I need to sleep and lay down and mm-hmm. have some personal space, too. Like, it's a train. I know it's cramped, but, man. Did you see the staff? They're tired, too. I mean, they're working as hard as we are. I don't know what's going on. Here, let's check the map. Yeah, let's see. What is the next stop? Next stop, Choo Choo, on the democracy train, democratizing everything, is political organizations. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it makes sense, actually. That's sort of like a second-order democracy, almost like democracy about democracy. But with things like political parties... Unions that do political work, nonprofits, think tanks. I mean, these are organizations that, I mean, there's an element of workplace democracy there and that they're often staffed by people. But to the degree that there's public participation, people who are volunteers or public supporters, having means for them to have a say, I mean, particularly in political parties, I mean, it's pretty striking to imagine that a political party could call for democracy while functioning in a way that stifles internal democracy instead of trying to fully express the members' opinions. Just to imagine there's prominent leftist organizations, you know, organizations that advocate for progressive policies that function more akin to a corporation than a directly democratic space. I mean, to a certain degree, I guess that could be convenience and that could be the effort, the hard work involved in democratizing. I can sympathize strongly with that after today, but, you know, members and donors of these organizations should have meaningful says in them seems basic yeah absolutely anybody who's affected by collective decisions that are being made should be able to participate things like political groups political parties unions even charities and a lot of nonprofits and things like that all these organizations have a particular role in society and like i think the process that they engage in in order to work within those groups is going to affect how they think about the world and how they see effective decision making and how they envision fulfilling their goals in a way that's in line with the principles. You know, and I'd like to acknowledge for the organizations that do exist that functioning democratically within a fundamentally undemocratic culture and society poses particular challenges. Oh yeah, it's like swimming upstream. It's hard. But at the same time, I think if we don't recognize that that is at the very least an ethical priority, even if we can't commit to directly democratizing the organizations we're a part of tomorrow, 
the understanding that this is an important frontier of democracy and it's one of the places where democracy is going to have to function in the future is an important thing. And I mean, you can even do sort of first step stuff like a hypothetical charity democracy it doesn't need to be run through like a direct democratic councils who are like nested and all this stuff and have these face to face meetings every week or something like that. But even something as meaningful as having a publicly seeable consultation system where donors and members of organizations can share their thoughts and priorities in a way that's publicly accountable would be a huge step forward. There's obviously both upsides and downsides. There's challenges and there's also benefits. But I think democracy is important enough that if there is an organization that actually actively works to function democratically in a thoughtful way, it makes it hard for me as a direct Democrat to even consider any other organization, despite any flaws that democracy might have. Like, as far as I'm concerned, if you don't believe in this, you don't believe in human freedom and ingenuity and neighborliness. And, and like, it's just foundational. Yeah. And I almost think, like, of course, it is more difficult in the society we're in now to operate a directly democratic organization. You know, people who didn't grow up existing in a democratic space so that it becomes reflex for them. So it's, it's not. It's hard and it's difficult. But we have to figure out how to do this. People who believe that democracy is the way to go are the only ones who are going to be able to work out how to do it in all these different contexts. And this is a process that's going to take a lot of time. And starting with your political organization could be a really good place to start because of how ingrained those ideals are in a lot of political people. The will that they have to do that extra work and to figure this stuff out and to figure out how to make democracy work on all these different scales and then build an entirely democratic society. It's something we have to all figure out together as an intergenerational process, knowing the direction we want to head in and also knowing the principles that we want to enact and then having the flexibility to figure out how to actually do that in the world as we go. And how can we trust our political leaders have leadership on democracy if their organizations themselves aren't democratic? Like, how do we know that they're not going to be indifferent to things that will move us backwards? The absence of direct democracy within existing political structures, within existing political parties, tells a sad, sad story. It just shows the degree to which democracy isn't part of the common sense in our political culture. And it's a tragic thing, and it's why we have to work to bring democracy to these places when we get off the train, I guess. Now that I'm so tired and I see that we're nearing the next stop already, like, I want to democratize political organizations. Don't get me wrong. But, who boy. Yeah, it's not really fair. I mean, it's like... We've been going for 13 hours now. I think if we had a vote, we would vote yeah. to sleep and rest and just sort of make the whole democratization process a little bit less of a slapdash to the finish. Like, you know, yeah, I get the trains going fast and choo choo the train. We're all on the train. Oh, I want to get there. I love the train. Like, choo choo. You catch me saying choo choo even out in the field when we're democratizing. Uh, yeah, it's kind of the fun thing we're all doing out there. Choo choo. Choo choo. And we're all laughing. Yeah, like democratizing everything. But yeah, no, I think there's two ways we can handle this. Number one, we can go out there, just democratize political organizations. Or two, and this, this one's interesting to me. What if we organized amongst ticket holders? So we all sort of got together and talked about our common interests to determine what our priority would be. These workers in this train, they need a democratic say over their work day too. I mean, sure, so yeah. they need to have their own sort of coming together. But then we can form a union between both of these groups 
to challenge the power structure. We can use their intel to do power mapping, figure out where the decisions are made on this crazy train, and we can fight for the things that we need. Things like sleep every night, taking a few days to democratize everything instead of just one crazy day that burns through people. Yeah, honestly, I think we cut a few corners democratizing the neighborhoods. You know, this is important. We need to do it right. We need to organize in favor of the interests of the people and not just have the train be run by the conductors at the top. Yeah, okay, so let's put off, we're not going to democratize political organizations for now. Instead, we're going to come together and we're going to organize to democratize the democracy train. I love it. Oh, I found a new well of energy. All right, everyone, this time we're staying on the train. All power to the mighty ticket holder and his historical accomplice, the worker. Here, here. We now go to somebody's utopia. Not our utopia, but, but, but somebody's. Hey, democracy bro, what's up? Democratic morning to you, my brother. Oh, yeah. Getting any good votes this morning? I got the app, so I'm just on the bus, you know, voting, voting, voting. Gotta keep up with it. There's a lot yeah, of I stuff to vote on. All weekend catching up on, you know, in addition to the face-to-face democracy, the voting on the phone. There's also the paper ballots. I've been letting those stack up for a couple months, so I had to, like, score some illegal stimulants. I stayed up for, like, 48 hours straight. They started fighting me, and the next step was jail time. Oh, yeah. It's democracy. Well, that's how it is. It's just, yeah, democracy. I was assigned to have to take some college courses recently, actually, on uh, rocket science. My proficiency in intuitive rocket science was so low that they said that I needed to learn more about it in order for my vote to be democratically valid. And obviously voting's mandatory, so yeah, I was assigned, you know, two-year course, but uh, I feel like I have much better grasp now on wing size and how I want to vote on wing size. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first time I saw the wing size question on the equal vote that we all get on the size of the wings of the rockets, of course, I was like, what is the ideal size for a wing? So I asked around and I think I just had an intuitive sense of rocket science. Through osmosis. For whatever reason, I didn't. That's why I had to learn. So uh, I guess it's a sign the system's working. Absolutely. I'm a more informed voter. Which is what we want, right? Informed voters? Absolutely. Informed voters coming to the right choices together. It's a directly democratic society. I mean, that's the way that Lord Democratus said. Ah, Lord Democratus. Yeah. What a perfect clockmaker. Yeah. I mean, who did we design this democratic city-state Democratus in the vision of? Lord Democratus. Absolutely. Their vision be be hailed. Their vision be hailed. Of course. We're not sycophants or anything. Like, we don't follow everything Lord Democratus set out. Yeah. For example, I remember there's this really prominent and oft-quoted saying. It says, do not follow me as a messiah. Democracy is a process. I encourage you to contribute new ideas. I need your ingenuity. That's the engine of democracy. And that's just a place I completely ignore him. Yeah, when he said, this is not a blueprint, but a list of interesting ideas meant to be experimented with, you know, he was just wrong about that. Pathological humbleness, whatever. Well, there's an emergency vote. I think we got a vote right now. Okay. Whoa, good thing we caught this. They said if anyone didn't vote on this within 15 minutes, that this subject is labor camps. So what is this vote on here? Let's open this up. Should the third in command high priest found guilty of corruption be executed for undermining the democratic order. Well, that sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, if he was undermining the order. Yeah. yeah, Yes. Yes, absolutely. Oh, and one more vote, too. Should sub-high priest 32X change his haircut from this one to that one? Uh, 
Mm, that's good. I like the one that it is. Yeah, yeah I'm going to say keep it. What did everybody vote that you should have for lunch today? Cabbage, actually. Cabbage? What did everyone vote for you to have? I got a little stir-fried vegetables and peanut oil, some coconut rice here, lava cake, but that's just for dessert, of course, small portion, no sugar, still healthy. So that's just my lunch. So yeah, cabbage, I'm a bit jealous. A little bit of steamed cabbage, a little bit of baked cabbage, a baked cabbage square, and I've also, of course, gotten some raw cabbage. It's a veritable cabbage smorgasbord. I'm over the moon. Yeah, well, one thing we can say for sure about our lunches is that they're the best possible lunches for us because they were chosen democratically. And that makes the best decisions. I mean, this is what the people want. And if that means every once in a while, us cabbage guys got to apologize to everyone else because we're getting this sort of luxury lunch. Yeah. That's the price of admission in democracy. And that's the price of admission in following the high priest who interpret Lord Democratus. And what else is the price of admission is the emergency votes on who's executed with very little information. That's the democratic process. And it's like, yeah, some people say, oh, my brother, my sister have been taken out by this. There's no accountability. People don't have the information to make the right decision about these public executions. Then I say, that's the cost of democracy. High-speed, public, democratically controlled executions based on not enough information. That's what Lord Democratus wanted. That's what the high priests have interpreted. That's our life, day to day. It's a utopia. The only alternative is to put the power to kill people in the hands of who? A small group? Yeah, just individual but i'm gonna randomly decide to kill someone it's like no please no. democratically yeah, decide. spread that out make a ballot measure for it i want to kill this person here's why let's vote that's democracy yeah and if you put an emergency warning on it they have to vote quickly they don't have time to look at the details that's democracy we care about emergencies in real democracy okay and so. if you don't care about emergencies in real democracy we have labor camps which have desperate shortages so we find reasons to send people there okay Uh, i miss talking like this there's nobody to talk to like this anymore because everyone who disagreed with us is either dead or in the camps but so pretending that one of them's here is fun yeah this once bustling street corner is just a few of us you know non-syncopantic followers so that was somebody's utopia. Not our utopia. Hey, not our utopia. Yeah, don't, don't, no, no one accuses us out of being our whoa, utopia. Whoa, 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 that's whoa. not what we're calling for. Yep. Someone else. Yep. We presented it in a journalistic sense. The neutral journalist eye. <laughs> <laughs> Criticisms of direct democracy you get fit a lot into the classical mold of all anti-democratic thought. These anti-democratic memes that are just so powerful, despite the fact they're actually sort of bullshit if you think about them a bit. Like the biggest criticism throughout history of democracy is that democracy is so chaotic. It just overthrows everything. It's If you give everyone the vote, it's like democracy was considered synonymous with like anarchism for a lot of history. Right. Like when democratic parties started to use the name democratic, it was sort of a recuperation of a more radical position. And I think it is true that when you unleash people's thoughts and feelings to a system that's designed to respond to those thoughts and feelings after a period of a lack of democracy, a sense of being stifled, opening that door is a chaotic thing because you're going from like this repressive state to this like free flowing state. But I think there's ways that you can minimize that. And over a longer period of time, you can build a democratic culture that prevents sort of the chaotic excesses of super, super direct democracy. Yeah. I, like I kind of imagine a properly functioning democratic society as one where like we kind of mentioned before, you can set it and forget it. Like there doesn't need to be a whole bunch of like 
warring issues on all this stuff because things just kind of work. This is like such an extreme time we live in right now. And I think it's very clear to a lot of people that like big changes need to happen and there's major disagreements about how to do that. And so like that's a hugely intense situation. And I'm like, I don't want to say that a properly functioning society would not have hugely intense situations, but I think the systems could like mitigate stuff like this, catch things like global warming 50 years ago when we first knew it was happening, then you don't have the pending disaster of it now, which is one of the dimensions of the craziness going on. And like, think of all the other dimensions and how they could have been averted and ameliorated earlier on. So in a way, I guess I'm saying that I think it would reduce chaos in the long run. Yeah, I think that's actually a really profound point. Imagining people having more democratic say over systems back when, for example, global warming was first identified as a problem. So I think you're right in that the directly democratic system will reduce chaos over time. And also, it's maybe important to note that if the choice is between being unethical and opening up the possibility of chaos in order to be ethical, I think it's better to open up the possibility of chaos and be ethical in many instances. If you're thinking of chaos in terms of like unpredictability, unpredictability is neutral. It's neither good nor bad. Yeah, it's it's higher risk and higher reward. Like stable systems will be a bit less quote unquote chaotic, but they'll also be like potentially unable to cope with changing circumstances because they're stable. Whereas like more uncertainty, randomness, more chaos in the system can allow for more adaptability because there's more new ideas being introduced and different things happening. There's more flexibility there. So yeah, you definitely want like a balance between those two things. Right in the center. Uh, oh, balance doesn't have to be right in the center. It could just be some when it's necessary of X and some when it's necessary of Y. You're telling me that my mean might not be golden? <laughs> it could be a silver or platinum mean? If you want to put it that way, then sure. A platinum mean is when the truth is between our positions, but it's much closer to me. And a silver mean is when it's between our positions, but much closer to you. You can right. say it with a little bit of humility, like, ah, it looks like it's a silver mean. You're mostly right. Oh, yeah. I like that, actually. Like, having language to say not you were right and I was wrong, but like, yeah, you were 75% right and I was 25% right is more accurate generally in most disagreements but like that like binary kind of good pile bad pile right wrong because that is a very democratic concept that you would mm. be able to mutually create slang terms and language to deal with the nuances of disagreement in ways that are like mutually soothing from like the tense side of politics right and like a productive disposition a democratic disposition would have to be productive there's a certain openness to it yeah. and there's also a certain willingness to like step back from things or indicate when something's important to you in a way that's like measured and like the different democratic tools you have within discussion to come to shared conclusions in a way that isn't based on being super attached to your own ideas where people are actually legitimately really looking for the best solutions for problems together without any sort of weird underlying personal animosity towards one another without any sort of weird factional bickering based on ancient fights that no one around now is actually around for yeah, no more ego games and projecting shit onto each other just like good faith <laughs> coming forth together sweetie pie working it out through a network of you know wittgensteinian word games that are created for the purposes of actualizing democratic decision making i think that's probably like the real shape of like a functioning direct democracy would look like that it would have all this weird 
slang. Yeah. I just don't want it to sound like we're saying, oh, if we just make up words, we'll solve these weird interpersonal problems. It's the concepts behind the words and like thinking about these things actually differently, obviously. Like that's why the democracy train started at schools. Like you need to have people have the experience to know how to be this kind of engaged, interested, can ferociously argue for your points, but also willing to step back and listen to what other people are saying and make genuine good faith efforts to find compromises or even better third solutions that neither of you had thought of, but is better than either of the two solutions you both liked. Stuff like that, that spirit of collaboration and being the kind of people who are interested in collaborating is what is going to be like one of the fundamental core things that make a democracy system like this work or not work. So yeah, I think like those kinds of behaviors and thought patterns cultivating those and figuring out actually what they are through experimentation again, I think is like a huge part of this. And like new words are going to play a major role in that for sure. But it's like an experiential lived thing of figuring out how to do this right, because none of us know how to do this democracy thing quite right. Like we have these good ideas, but you can like watch a whole bunch of tutorials about how to snowboard, but you don't quite know how to do it until you actually do it. That's sort of what I like about the new slang words example is that it sort of connects with that like idealist versus materialist tension of like, you can invent the most perfect new word in the world, but like how often do slang terms pick up just because people just like make it up intentionally and they're like, this is this new word and like everyone uses it. Right. But slang terms come into existence all the time through these like organic processes. It's the same thing with some of these utopian democratic systems of like it's premature to talk about like the exact shape of it. The shape of these institutions is going to come out of the experience of trying out the different versions of this institution over time. And then what takes hold is going to take hold. And like that's the experimentalist framework. Now we're going to be sharing some scenes from some various democratic utopias or demotopias for slightly short. Our first demotopia, fully market-oriented consumer democracy, a direct democracy which is completely led by the purchasing power of those who participate in it. No, I'm telling you, we have to use our last $300 to fill this cart with Jello. I get what you're saying. Every piece of Jello we buy is going to buy us a voting share in World Jello, which is one of the most bustling economies in our democratic system. And it's, it's important, but I really think we should be investing this $300 in fruit snacks. And this is based on a tip. This fruit snacks brand is a subsidiary of Wrong Boys Confectionery Industries. Wrong Boys Confectionery Industries is now in control of most of the world's water supply. So if you buy these gummy candies, cut out your cardboard ballot from the box and send it in the mail, they send long-form ballots about the future of water policy. We're in a big water shortage right now. That's pretty important. Yeah, but what if they get rid of the purple jello? Like, you hear what I'm saying, right? It's literally on the ballot right now for jello. But okay, yeah, so we I mean, could... What are people going to... Water policy. Everybody wants water, right? What are they going to do? Vote to take away water? I assume that's taken care of. I think this is a little bit of like a platinum mean situation, like 75% mean. Our next wonderful democratic utopian scene is a world where digital direct liquid democracy was implemented very quickly without a large public education campaign. 
Oh my god, this is just as bad as the old system. I just, my vote doesn't matter at all. I can vote for whatever I want to, and it's just like, at the end of the day, Joe Rogan makes all the decisions. Yeah, and if you try complaining about it, then everybody's like, why don't you give your vote to PewDiePie? He's almost bigger than Joe Rogan now. If we keep giving PewDiePie more votes, he can override Joe Rogan. It's like, I don't want to give my vote to PewDiePie. But, like, we should have a cap on that. Joe Rogan has 33% of the global vote. PewDiePie, 28% of the global vote. The third has like 4%. How did this happen? Like they come together in coalition on something and it becomes law. It's just because Joe Rogan starts every podcast with, oh, this is a great mattress. Enter this code. It's not fair. Like I want to actually make decisions. I want my voice to matter. I don't want to just be subsumed in all these liquid choices by people who just set it and forget it. I actually care. The system should work for me, not them. Well, what are you going to do though? I'm honestly thinking I'm just going to switch to PewDiePie. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We now go to a democratic utopia where you quite literally vote with a bank account. Hi, yes, I'm uh, new to this world, and I hear you have a democracy here based on bank accounts, so I want to set up my democratic bank account so I can vote. Oh, awesome. Welcome. We'd love to enfranchise as many people as possible. That's our mission here at Democratic Banking. Cool. So we're going to open up a Democracy Bucks account. It puts your money to work for you in the marketplace of politics and ideas. I'm just going to open this up uh, here. Just type this in. and. So yeah, we got the account, you got your number, and here's your card. Currently it's got zero dollars in it, so if you cast any votes, it will be worth zero votes. So oh, okay. If, so if I put, I got a 20 right here, if I put that in the account, That will get you votes? 20 votes. Oh, so simple, one dollar, one, one vote. One dollar, one vote. You know, we've had fights over the should some dollars be worth more than others, and we just came to the conclusion, one dollar, one vote, keep it simple. So, but, okay, so this 20 dollars, I put it in here and I can't use it anymore. It's just no, like a yeah, bank, but I can withdraw it whenever you I want can to. You can withdraw it, yeah, and with that goes your proportion of voting, right? So you can just take as much of it out or in as you want, total freedom on that. So if there was a really important vote, a billionaire could just pop a billion dollars in there and then take it back out and use it again later, right? For something they've just wanted to kind of force through. Yeah, there's a 14-day period on that, but yeah, yeah. And during that 14 days, all of the revenue that's generated by the holding of that money, you know, interest, the natural feature of the universe, that when you put money in a certain place, more money comes out of nowhere to it. You know, just the way banking is, it's just mm -hmm. normal. Sure. Yeah. That interest goes to fund all these services, pays my wage, pays for the whole institution of democracy. So these democracy buck accounts matter. And when the wealthy choose to take their billions out of their interest generating accounts, because of course interest is a natural feature of the universe, and put it into our accounts, there's a great public benefit. So they get a more powerful vote and the public gets a democratic institution that's responsive, nimble, and works for them. But I think you don't strike me as someone who couldn't afford to put a little more than 20 in there. I'll usually get someone on their first time on a package of 1,000, 2,000. You might have to save up a little bit, but we can set it through automatic payments. I want to make sure that your vote matters. Okay, let me just uh, call my servants. All right, so they're bringing in $20 billion, and I'm in 14 days going to be voting to change the entire system right away sir this this isn't subvert the system it's, it's part of the system it, it, hey everyone something great's happening hi uh, everyone i'm gonna change the system so that i run it all oh no you don't have to change the system in order to run it all sir you you run it oh maybe i'll funnel all the interest and in all the accounts towards me yes sir right away sir uh democracy i love this world it's great our next scene from a democratic utopia, a world which is perfectly consensus-driven, and where all decisions are made with the consent of all. 
Yeah, so I totally understand now where you were coming from with your opposition to my proposition. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad you explained it to me. And like I took some time out to work through what I was feeling there. That third option that someone else presented, I do think actually would work mm-hmm. if we made a few changes. Yeah, I think with some slight tweaks, it can really just make everyone happy. I appreciate Even though we had a little bit of a disagreement there for a second, I feel like this is a respectful working relationship. And, and the real democratic vibe. So I guess we're, we'll call a vote of everyone now. So everyone, will we be going with the amendment? So any concerns at all? Now, no concern too small, remember, folks. We want to represent all the voices here. I just want to give you an opportunity to speak up. No judgment. Oh, oh, that's so nice. Uh, I love the Democratic meetings. It's really enriching stuff. So I'm hearing nothing. So everyone's really happy with it. Can Round of applause. We did it. We did it. Another Yay. one. Our fifth major accomplishment today. So this is a great Congress. They said that we couldn't fit 650 people in here, but look at us. And you can bring this all home to your constituent home meetings with 650 more. Uh, it's only three nested all the way down. This is the Central Council. And just... Uh, a reminder everyone like always if anybody today felt like they weren't heard or they didn't feel confident enough to say what they were thinking or just any other kind of issue feel free to approach uh, anyone in the leadership and of course as always we have the emotional resolution coaches in all the corners that's what they're here for folks so don't be afraid to talk to them we want to make sure everybody can fully participate in all the ways they want to so just ask. Yeah, and we use this ourselves, you know, staff, democratic facilitators, you know, maybe we seem confident up here at the top of the room helping steward and bring out people's voices, but yeah, we use them too. No shame, okay? We're all beautiful brothers and sisters here under the sun. And finally, we go to a democratic utopia which is just not yet born. A democratic utopia bubbles under the surface, ready to burst forth at any moment, like France in 1788 or Haiti in 1790. We now go to this democratic utopia about to be born. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. Uh, So we have one final criticism of direct democracy here. You naive fools know not what you rot. You'll destroy the world with these invocations of perfect utopias. You're the Pied Piper leading young people towards the cliff. Are your rooms even clean before you try to democratize the whole world? Have you democratized your household? Have you democratized your workplace? Have you tried to order a pizza with three or four people lately? Democracy, you guys talking about democracy like you know what you're talking about, but trust me, democracy doesn't work. The world is going to be destroyed if you hand over the reins to this kind of system. Better things aren't possible. So just stop. Stop ever talking about this sort of stuff. Stop understanding different nuances between different democratic systems. Stop advocating for some sort of now yet unknown synthesis of them, which will bring out a truly representative democracy. Just give up on this sort of thing. It's a waste of time. You guys come off like idiots when you talk about it. I must say the first part of the question I wasn't a huge fan of. But when the questioner started telling us to stop doing things that actually sounded really good and made us sound good, that part of the question I really liked. And so it made it, me feel good. Yeah, me too. So we got a contact <laughs> form on the website, folks, seriouslywrong.com. Use that contact form. We always love to, to read it out on the show. But seriously, to this questioner, if you did listen to the whole episode and you still had that question, I feel like we kind of answered every part of that at different points during the episode. So it, maybe you just don't agree and that's fine. But maybe I'm, I'm hearing from the tone of your question maybe you just aren't feeling that good you're feeling kind of hopeless about the world right now you're feeling like 
things can't ever change. And if they do change, it would inevitably be for the worse. And if that's the case, if you're in that kind of headspace, then I just want to say that I feel for you. I'm not going to stop advocating for democracy because I don't think there's a lot of danger that you're describing. We're just trying to help encourage people to appreciate democracy and the possibilities democracy offers and to start taking steps in directions that can make things more democratic in the world today. So I don't think that's dangerous. And I wish you like really well with the emotional regulation issues, genuinely. So that's my answer to the question. I'm going to take a little bit of a different tack. Sure. When our perfect utopian system is implemented in full against your wishes, it will be through a process where your voice was seriously considered in a way that it's never been considered before by the existing systems. That I can promise you. But unfortunately, when people come together, when they talk about whether or not they want to have control over their own lives, you and people like you, you anti-democratic extremists, will be defeated at the Omnipoles. And you'll all cry, cry and weep, and us, the victors, will dance and cheer and sing. We'll have big parties. Our win will come at the expense of your loss. And that's democracy, baby. I can't wait to laugh and cheer while you cry. Because your opinions are bad and you're wrong. You deserve to lose. My team's going to win. The pro-democratic team, not your anti-democratic bullshit. I look forward to drinking your tears as I dance and sing with my friends. Yeah, so that's just two kind of different approaches to answering that question. Uh, we like to do things a little like that on the show sometimes. So we provide a smorgasbord, take what you like, leave what you don't. Yeah, whichever you answer you found most useful, questioner, just take that one. It's, it's democratic, whatever you like. But yeah, just in general, I think we need a process in society for people to come to answers about tensions in society, ways to arrive at solutions despite sometimes competing interests takes everyone's ideas into account we need to believe in people we need to believe that people are capable of running their own lives we need to believe that everyone not just a limited amount of people should have a say in the way that things go we have to have belief in the competence and ethics of humanity as a whole democracy is an ongoing experiment to form a global friendship that works together isn't that a beautiful idea? Yeah, I really like that, actually. Yeah, a global friendship. I, like, I kind of imagine this global friendship society involving, uh, to return to something we mentioned earlier, also chips in the brain, or maybe just algorithmic recreations of ourselves that vote on our behalf. We promised we'd get back to it, so I feel like now's the time to just... Yeah, maybe hash this out a little bit. See, the reason I'm against the chips, and I'm glad that we went through discussing all these issues around democracy, because through the democratic process of exchanging ideas, we've mm. worked together to develop a language of democracy that's going to allow me to articulate what I think what democracy is, is that culture of expression that creates language structures to come to as friends conclusions together and to chip directly into the brain and algorithmically merge everyone's opinions together in this like opinion soup without having the process of the conversational democracy and the free exchange of ideas that leads to the forms of these third better ideas or these 75% 25% compromises that's the democracy and when you just chip directly in people's brains the algorithm would do all and that feed stuff. no the algorithm would not do that stuff <laughs> that's the whole point of the algorithm is to do that stuff <laughs> it's not just about the conclusion that the algorithm comes to it's about the experience that the people have participating in democracy and putting chips in people's brain 
robs people of the democratic experience, which would enrich their lives. What if the chips also produce a simulated type of experience that you can download at your leisure so it feels like you went through that and it's the same sort of in your brain? Yeah, it seems the same to me. <laughs> Just as good, right? <laughs> No, it, humans must struggle against machines in this sense. And I'll take this to the grave. Okay, so fine. When they're installing the chips, I will object. But are you going to prevent me as a private citizen from buying or purchasing my own chip and using it instead of a four-digit code to fill in my voting card for me? And then I can double check, make sure the algorithm works the way I want it to. But, you know, after a decade of it never making a mistake, I just kind of let it fill in my cards for me. Are you going to prevent me from doing that? Because uh, uh, yeah, if you're just going to advise against it, that's okay. I don't mind that. But if you're going to tread. I'm prepared to <laughs> tread I'm more prepared me. to advise against than tread at this moment, but I'm thinking over maybe a treading strategy. But in the interest of thinking through what's best, and I hope you can appreciate that, mm -hmm. because, I mean, if you were doing something truly monstrously evil that it needed to be stopped, I would hope that we're good enough friends that you would appreciate me trying to stop you from advocating for something monstrous. Mm. So I'm just trying to piece this together. I think you might be right in the sense of, like, you have to let them, but it's sort of weird in okay. a way. Well, and like, I think I might have a compromise solution, which is that I've been thinking about this since we started the episode, and even though I think the chip and the algorithms are, like, really great ideas, utopian ideas, part of a perfect society, I think there's a lot of danger of these ideas being used in this current imperfect society to do some really dystopian, horrifying shit. So I think even though this is probably the best idea for the truest democracy that could ever exist. It's also an idea that's so ahead of its time that it shouldn't be publicly advocated for. So from this point on, I'm going to, in public, pretend that I don't support it as a strategic position, even though that's not my real position. Well, I think we all appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, okay. Can you please save that horizon for our next horizon? <laughs> You're freaking everyone out. <laughs> Once we're in a new society where there's less cynicism about human nature and less certainty that this will necessarily turn out bad we can have the chip algorithm conversation so you're here to hear folks our agenda is not chips our agenda is not chips in the brain yeah we're both against it sean is actually against it and i say that i'm against it this has been the seriously wrong podcast we hope that you have a very democratic day and by that i mean you get to choose what you get to do and nothing unfairly treads on you you treading you're, treading on you're, treading on you're making my day undemocratic <laughs> oh man don't tread see that's some new language take that back from the libertarians thanks for listening everyone and have a wonderful week hey and if you like our show you can support us on patreon at patreon.com slash seriously wrong we will give you just between you and i hey you seem like a nice person i like you i'm gonna give you a good deal if you give us six bucks a month i can hook you up with some stuff there's a discord secret facebook group bonus episodes, and the entire archive going back five years. Episodes a day early, live streams, extra other little bonus content. So there's a lot of content there behind that wall. And if you give us 20 bucks and shoot us a message, we'll uh, shout you out or an organization on the show. Also, we're t-shirt salesmen. So if you want to support us more so by uh, buying something from us, we have some cool t-shirts that we made that are on our website. And the proceeds from those t-shirts go to helping us 
continue making the show when when you say we're t-shirt salesmen i just imagine like the scenery <laughs> changing and all of a sudden we're at a t-shirt stand and we're just like hey also we're just like talking about democracy for an hour it's like hey buy a t-shirt why don't you uh, uh what's your day job democracy talkers uh we're t-shirt salesmen <laughs> <laughs> i'm wearing my own logo on my own shirt right now it's true it's available it's a nice design it's a beautiful design designed by pomona lake you can hire them for design at pomonalake.ca and if anyone wants to see sean wearing the that shirt in a video that lasts two hours. Uh, we did a live stream earlier. We did an AMA stream on February 2nd, and that's on the Patreon thing as well. So that is how the show keeps existing. Because producing media takes some work, and we wouldn't be able to do it without our supporting beautiful genius patrons. Yeah, and a sincere thanks to everyone who uh, gives to us now, has given in the past, or will give in the future. It's like so great to have the time to do this. Like. Next time on Seriously Wrong, the fate of the democracy train. And so they all had a wonderful, wonderful night's rest after they came together and they used the threat of work stoppage to hold their boss's feet to the fire. After their rest, they, in a reasonable and timely manner, democratized political institutions, and then went on to democratize everything in society. Even things that might seem absurd to us, like supermarket democracy, rock band democracy, horse ride democracy, and traffic democracy. New frontiers were continually reached, and uh, it was a very successful and very democratic society indeed. And that's the story of the uh, democracy train. That's uh, an amazing story, Grandpa. Thank you. Is that the story of how our perfect democratic society was made? Oh, absolutely not, no. That society eventually collapsed because of internal personality conflicts, which it would take more than one bedtime to get through the ins and outs of. Oh, it sounds like some juicy drama. Oh, it's incredible, yeah, and you can pick sides in it. It's like, it's exciting, and personally, I side with the BEA, but society collapsed, and we eventually later through, after a period of darkness, were able to re-democratize through the having your voice heard system, first invented by a traveling salesman. It was through that distinct path, not a train, that our society moved towards a perfect and totalizing democracy. Oh, yeah. Maybe that's why our democracy is so perfect and stable. Absolutely. Well, just before we go to bed, we could foster some democratic consciousness together by listening to the collective voices of our millions and billions of siblings around the world that will bolster us and strengthen our democratic consciousness so we can be more effective parts of a totalizing democratic system. I love getting in front of the view screens and having the whole world speak as one voice in a moment of gestalt consciousness where we come together and hear everybody's voices at once and understand better our responsibilities and the needs of our civic global family. 
Alright, so I guess we'll just step in front of the viewing screen and hold hands. Yeah, just put on the special headphones here and I'll put on the set. Ten, and as nine, the clock ticks towards eight, the appropriate seven, time, we'll all six, unite as one five, in one global four, big voice. Three, three more seconds. Two, one. Testing one, two, three. This is my voice. Wow, Grandpa, I feel like I've leveled up. It's democratically. It's powerful. It's a powerful experience every day. Just knowing that my voice has been heard by everyone. And you've heard the voices of everyone. Now, Now we're connected in a democratic web with all living beings. We've done all we need to have our voice heard by the algorithm, the machine, that makes the key decisions in our society. It's, it's... It hears our voice and it knows what we need. And it's so efficient, unlike in the past when they would just have politicians listen on the phone to individual people's voices one at a time. Who told you about that? <laughs> uh, come here, squirt. <laughs> they were making fun of it on a child's cartoon I was watching. Uh, yeah, we've come a long way. Everything's normal now. Yeah, this is normal. You know what else is becoming really normal at school? A lot of the kids now have those chips in their brains. And they don't even have to stand in front of the viewing screen. No, I, I don't think we... The chip thing, it's a little bit too much. A little too fast. It's Some fine. villages we don't need have any, switched uh... over the whole village, and there's benefits to it. They call it herd chipping. Me and all the other kids think that it should be mandatory with all the benefits you get. <laughs> no, uh, we don't need any brain chips to have our moment of mutual listening, okay? So young people shouldn't be forcing that on us. I mean, uh, We'll have our voices heard and you'll have yours heard, I guess. And then it's up to the algorithm to decide. <laughs> oh, yes, uh, fair enough. Well, I'll try to convey through tone that I stand firmly opposed to that sort of thing. It's, it's the new normal, Grandpa. You're going to have to get used to it. It's not normal. This is currently we're in normal. You're talking about something abnormal and new, different. The change is normal, and this is the Not that new... change. Yeah. That's an abnormal idea. Pretty soon, what, the view screens are going to not be normal. I think normal is stopped. Have we finished normal? It's good. Oh, Grandpa, you're so old. Can you let me die in peace? No.